Amen. I want you to take your copy of the scripture, if you would please, and open your Bible to a short book, small letter in the New Testament, Titus, the book of Titus, and chapter 3, and we're going to read three verses, Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 4. So why was there a baby in a manger? Why wasn't there a warrior on a white horse? Why wasn't there a judge in the judicial robes? Why wasn't it like Moses with the face of authority and the Ten Commandments? When it came time for God to come in a human form to this earth. Why did it have to be a baby? Is, is, there, is there any part of the human race that would not be attracted to a little baby Innocent, helpless, pure. If, if, if God was wanting the world, was wanting the human race to know his heart, the, the dominant atmosphere in his heart toward people, this is a really risky thing for it to be a baby and not a warrior. A baby and not a head of state. But you know, folks, the good news is, the incredible news is, that is exactly what the Lord wanted to communicate to the human race. If you have the view that God is already ticked, if you have the view that God is already mad at you, disappointed in you, disgusted with you, ashamed of you, and on a broader scale, all the people of the earth because of the messes that we as people can get in. If the presupposition is that God is mad, then why wouldn't he have sent a warrior or a judge? But because the truth is that God is not mad nearly so much as he wants a relationship with you. With the real you, not the phony you, not the plastic you, not the religious you, but that he, he wants a relationship with you, not, not you as a robot, not you as an artificial intelligence entity, 
but he wants a relationship with you because you want a relationship with him. Then it can make some sense. Part of the equation there is, why, why, did the, why was it a baby? Well, there needed to be a baby in order for the baby to grow up to be a man whose blood could be poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. But another piece of that is, he wanted it to be a human, an innocent, small human, who would go through the things growing up that you just go through when you're growing up, but then that there could be, there could be a person that other people would want a relationship with. And I'm going to tell you, it'll blow your hat in the creek when you start looking at all the different kinds of people. All the different kinds of people that this Jesus wanted a relationship with. Not so he could smother them, not so he could cut them down, not so he could use them as just one more proof text of how holy God is and how rotten men can be and women can be. That wasn't even on the screen. It seemed like he would go after the most lost of the lost, the farthest out there of the farthest out there, because he wanted a relationship with them. And if he wanted a relationship with all of the them, it's an indication that he wants a relationship with you. Not after you've gotten your life together. Not after you quit some things and start some other things. But right this very moment, right now, he wants a relationship with you. And from that point of relationship, all kinds of things awesome things, impossible things without the relationship can begin to bust loose from the inside of you because of relationship with Him. If your view is that God is mad, He's already mad, and He's got this list of things that I'm supposed to do, and, and if you've been down that road long enough to realize that there are not any of them that I can keep doing, I can do them for a while, but I give up. If it's all about jumping over this bar that God's got held up, He's already expecting that I can't make it, then what you end up doing is you give up on things. You give up on church. If that's all you've gotten from church, just one more list, one more set of things you better do, and if you don't do it, you're going to be in deep weeds, then you just want to quit. I'm telling you, I believe there are, there are millions of people, particularly in America, that have given up on the organized religious church but somehow down deep inside them, there is a desire for a relationship with Jesus. So that's what this is all about this morning. 
This, this is about what's, what was going on before there ever was a church building built, before there were ever Baptists or Catholics or Methodists or Pentecostals or name your brand. What was going on when that baby was laying in that manger and what was he intending to be the expression of? That's a long way around the world to get back to Titus chapter 3 and verse 4. But look at this. Paul explains it. He says, this is what was happening. Verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior. Who is God our Savior? That's another reference to specifically the person of Jesus. Jesus is God our Savior. That was his mission, to save us and to keep saving us. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, that's Bethlehem. His kindness at work, his love for mankind appeared. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, this hasn't, it hadn't appeared before Bethlehem's night. God, our Savior, had not shown up on the scene of human history until this night. There were other references, Old Testament references, and many would believe that Joshua outside the walls of Jericho met Jesus, the captain of the Lord's hosts. Other instances, but... In this form, in this setting, where he was, he was specifically coming in the flesh, in a human body, to be able with his own blood being shed 33 years later, to be the payment for our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no covering for sin. So if he was going to save us from our greatest calamity, our greatest problem, our own sins, the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That Jesus would die and pay with his death the penalty required for your sin and my sin. He, he would do that. But why did he do that? Why was he willing to do that? What was working in his mind as he came forth in that form? It was kindness of God, our Savior. The kindness, not the madness, not the anger, not the put-outness, not the frustration with the human race. But somehow, somewhere in his awesome heart was kindness toward you and toward me. Kindness. It's a word into English translated kindness, 
but it is a, it, it, it's, a, it's a very, very strong Greek word that the Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to use to express this. It, it, is, it, it, is, it is described as an attitude or an emotion that leavens or flavors or rises above all of the other potential emotions in a setting, in a life, in a heart, in a mind. It, it, is, it, it, it leavens all of the others. So, so there may be the potential for anger. There may be the potential for desire, steps to take toward justice, and all of those things that could be working within the, within the heart of the Lord. But what this word is saying is that that dominant emotion in the heart of God for you, for the human race, for the reasoning behind Jesus coming to die as the Savior for the human race is his kindness. I'm telling you folks, you can grow up in churches and you can come up with about any other attitude or idea about what's going on in the heart of God toward the human race and many other options besides kindness. He's mad. He's disappointed. He's, he's, he's got to judge. He's got to deal with God. Those are aspects that are true in the heart of God. He, he hates sin. He hates, he, he's, he's going to act against injustice and wrong. That will come. But Paul is saying here, led by the Spirit, that it's his heart of kindness that overshadows his anger about sin, the need for judgment to come forth. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appear. Love for mankind is one Greek word, put in, translated that way in English so we can get it. But the idea there is the desire for friendship, his, his friendship toward mankind, his fondness for mankind. We get the word philanthropy, philos, love, kindness toward anthropos, man, love for man, a fondness for man. Oh, my goodness, folks. If somewhere back in our hearts and minds we could, we could take back the things that we've come to be convinced of that cause us to keep running away from God, staying away from Him because the assumption is He's mad at me, and I'm not going to willingly walk into a room where somebody's already mad if I can be out and all around all these other people and they don't even know enough about me to be mad about. So the last place I want to be is in the presence of someone who hadn't missed anything I've done, hadn't forgotten anything I've done, and he's already mad. Why should I go there? That's what a religious system will teach you. But the Word of God, the heart of God is that that is not his heart toward you. He desires a relationship with you because there is already a fondness for you in his heart. Yes, there are things that we can do that grieve him, that sadden him, that, that I mean, he would look down upon us and he would, he would say, he, he would know there's a better way to live. 
There's a better way to live. You're doing this to yourself. Why are you keeping to do this for yourself? Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's what he would say. But realizing that that's who he has to deal with, that's what goes on in the lives of the ones that he desires a relationship with, it means that some of the things that we have felt like would keep the heart of the Lord from coming toward us and pursuing us, that some of those things that we thought would set him back in reality don't have the power to stifle, to shut down, to cause to quit being in operation his desire for a relationship with you. And I know I'm talking to a lot of church people, and, and church isn't a bad word. It's just that it's just that you got to remember that church is made up of people, and wherever there are people, stuff can get messed up. That, that Jesus is not the church. Don't get those confused. Jesus is not the church. The church is people loved by Jesus, but Jesus stands completely above and beyond what are the inconsistencies and the wrong conclusions that that church settings and systems can come up with. He desires a relationship with you because his heart toward you is kind and his heart toward you is desiring of a friendship with you. You see, what was really happening as the baby was born is that there was an extension being made, an invitation being given to the human race for friendship with their Creator, for a friendship with their God. Now, I'm praying have been coming into this, that you won't be able to listen to this out of the old set of ears. That that may be true for other people, but what I know about me and God is that I've disappointed Him so much. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. I'm here, I'm listening, because I feel like there's some good at least to being in the sound of the preaching. But all of this about God wanting a relationship with me can't be true because of how I have lived, how I have failed, how inconsistent I can be. If you're trying to say there's something God can't do, then think again. There's nothing is impossible with him. And I'm telling you, listen, I'm telling you, Satan has been lying to you. Satan is the one saying to you, you're too messed up. You can't do it. You you can't ever be anything different. You're always going to be. The only one who would say that, that would result in you wanting to hide from the God who wants a relationship with you, the only one who would pursue that and try to convince you of that is the one who doesn't want you to know the joy and the power and the freedom of friendship with him. I need to prove some things to you. I want you to go to, if you would, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter chapter 9. 
Now listen to this. Matthew 9. Verse, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it happened that as he was reclining at the table in the house, evidently Matthew's house, behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax gatherers and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But you go, saying to the religious police, you go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Literally, I desire compassion more than sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, you've heard me say this before, and I believe it's imperative that we in our day and time, as followers of Jesus, get the significance and the correlation. You pick out what in your mind is the most despicable, deplorable lifestyle or profession in our culture today. Most despicable, most deplorable lifestyle or profession. You take that name or those names, and everywhere you see in the New Testament the term tax gatherers and sinners, you put your words, your names for the deplorable, despicable into that passage. The reason that's so important, folks, is that we're supposed to be representing the life of Jesus to the culture around us. So what did Jesus do when there was a Matthew, a tax gatherer, a sinner, with, with the group called sinners, just a, that generalized term, they had checked out on everything moral, basically, it sounds like, but somehow, some way, Jesus was wanting a relationship with them. They hadn't repented, they hadn't changed, they hadn't said they were sorry, they hadn't turned over a new leaf right where they were. He walked into Matthew's tax office, known for cheating, lying, stealing for the countrymen in the collection of Roman taxes. And he said to that man, follow me. We don't have any background that there had been some prior meeting. Some, some arranged deal. Okay, you come and follow me, Matthew, so that I can have some contact with some of you folks and maybe those people out there can start supporting my ministry. <laughs> None of that. Jesus wanted a relationship with Matthew. He wanted him as one of his men. He knew where he was. He knew how far off he was. He knew all that he had done and was doing. But he said, follow me. Follow me. Now, folks, if Jesus was already ticked, 
if his moral barometer, moral meter was on the was on the fully loaded side, he, he would, as if to prevent anything reaching past only the perfectly moral, only the perfectly squeaky clean, only the ones who've done everything right. If, if, if that was where Jesus' moral meter was buried, he wouldn't have looked twice at Matthew. But would you notice that about the longest book in your New Testament is written by Matthew, the former tax gatherer. It wasn't a new set of rules that won Matthew. It was the relationship with Jesus that won his heart. Matthew had every reason to think the same things that sometimes we can think. If he began to list all of what he had done, all of the choices that he had made, everywhere he had been and all the wrong, he could have come to the conclusion based upon the religious crowd around him who had written him off, he would have given up on himself. But there was something about the look in Jesus' eye. There was something about the tone in his voice. You see that word, when it says that he loved mankind because of his, because of his love for mankind, that carries with it the idea of a measure of respect, fondness, but also respect as a human being. Jesus, the purest man who ever lived, God in the flesh, was somehow being respectful of the ones that he knew how far off they were. He knew where they were, but he wanted a relationship. So, so he, at the risk of his own reputation, Jesus stepped into Matthew's house. And as Matthew had invited Jesus and the disciples, all of his rowdy friends showed up. But instead of Jesus, check it out. He stayed there and he stayed there and he stayed there. It wasn't a drive through going to get some Cane's fried chicken. It wasn't a quick, quick trip through Whataburger. This was an evening deal. This was several, a few hours at the minimum. Jesus putting his feet up under Matthew's table. Jesus drinking out of his cups. Jesus listening to them and all that was going on in the room. And I guarantee you it wasn't a Sunday school class. You know, sharing prayer requests. Blessings from the Lord. <laughs> you know what I mean? Rowdy friends, rowdy friends, rowdy friends. And every last one of them, Jesus was pursuing a relationship with. That's why he was there. If, if, if he didn't mean it, if, 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 he, if he wasn't serious about it, he, he could have just stayed back and talked about love and talked about compassion. But his kindness had feet on it. His kindness had hands to it. His kindness had a words to it and a face to it. Because he wanted a relationship. Because he wanted a relationship. <clears throat> the consequence was <clears throat> that Matthew ended up leaving everything 
and following Jesus. But there was something about the way Jesus operated that Matthew wasn't the last one of the reprobates and the ones that the religious community had given up on that wanted to follow Jesus. Luke and Luke 15 will record, and, then he, and, you know, and he would try to keep up with stuff, but it said it looked to him like all of the tax gatherers and sinners had come to hear Jesus. And that was the setting for the story, the stories that Jesus told about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost boy. Relationship, friendship, Friendship, properly understanding what was going on with the baby in the manger, is that that is an invitation to friendship with Jesus. Let me show you another one. This is in the Gospel of John. Gospel of John. Chapter 8. Now, the reason we're dealing with some of these extreme moral conditions is because they show the extent to which Jesus will go for our relationship. There are many who will read this, hear this, and you would say, but I haven't gone that far. But I haven't done that. Well, if that's true, that you haven't done that, but Jesus went to the extent to pursue a relationship with this woman caught in adultery and this Matthew, the tax gatherer, you haven't done that, but he went there pursuing a relationship with the ones who have gone to that extent. How can it not be true that he doesn't want a relationship, a friendship with you? This is John chapter 8. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. And all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. And when the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women, what then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him, in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down. And with his finger wrote on the ground, and it's a specific word for writing script, writing words, not just dabbling, scribbling in the dirt. It's the word meaning he wrote some things. He wrote words. He wrote numbers. He wrote something. He took his finger and wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, 
Let him be the first to cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the midst. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? Meaning, throw a stone with the purpose of accomplishing the capital punishment that they were saying she was due. Did no one stone you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. You ready for your hat to be blown in the creek? Out of all of the choices in this occasion, in this setting, Jesus had the opportunity to pursue a relationship with. Which one did he pick? He could have sided with the religious police, catered to them, pursued a friendship, relationship with them to the exclusion of the woman caught. But he picked her for the pursuing of a friendship with her. I, 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 there's not words for that. Here is, here is this young man, this young teacher, this Jesus of Nazareth, who could very much have thought, I, I, need, to, I need to get the approval of these elders. I, I need for them to feel good about what I'm doing. But when they had assumed about her that there was basically no hope for her, she's worthy of death. Jesus took his stand. No, she's not. I know who you are. I know where you've been. I know which one of these women you've been with. Don't be telling me that you don't know. How did you know where she was in the first place? Um, this is all I'm adding commentary here. And that you're not supposed to just stone the, the woman, you're supposed to stone the man too. They were picking and choosing Bible verses to suit their cause. He wouldn't go for it. And he chose her mm, to pursue a relationship with. He doesn't say, I condone, condone what you've done. I, it, it's okay, it's no big deal. He, he said, he said, I'm not condemning you, but you quit doing that. <laughs> you, you, stop that, because that's what gets you in these places. It, it wasn't that God had to cause her trouble. Folks, listen, sometimes we cause our own mess, don't we? 
Am I the only one who'd say, that's true? We, we'd say, God, where were you? God, where were you? We did it to ourselves. But even though she had done it to herself, it doesn't mean that he wasn't still wanting a relationship with her. And so we got to hear that. Yes, we've done. Yes, we've done. Yes, we've missed it. Yes, we've blown it. But that doesn't negate the fact that he still wants a relationship with you. And out and from that relationship, the new you, the better you, the stronger you, the you he has in mind all along will emerge. Matthew. Matthew. The writer of the longest gospel. Story of Jesus. His name would be mentioned in connection with the message of Jesus throughout all the ages of the church. And where did he start? Lowest of the low, worst of the worst, checked out on by many that would see him and accuse him. And their accusations at many points were were justified. He, He was those things, at least to a degree. That was not who he would be with Christ alive in his heart. And the relationship, the friendship with Jesus. But you'd go back, if you would, to that Titus 3 statement. But when the kindness of God our Savior And his love for mankind appeared. He saved us. Meaning that we were in a mess. Matthew was in a spot he needed rescuing from. The woman caught was in a spot that she couldn't get herself out of. But that's what is included in this relationship. He's willing to do the saving He's willing to step into your life and do the rescuing, knowing what he's got when he's got you, knowing what is still going on, knowing what has happened, knowing where the weaknesses are. This is where he saved us. He saved us. He rescued us. He delivered us. Not by righteousness, not by us trying to do right stuff. Can I... You know, somewhere we get this crazy idea. Well, if I turn over a new and I start doing more right stuff than I did with my bad stuff back yonder, that somehow God's going to just see that my good now has outweighed my bad then. If that was true, Jesus' death on the cross was the greatest waste of an innocent life in human history. He died... Because we're all guilty. We're guilty and we remain guilty. No matter if it's 40 years ago when it happened. Or 40 minutes ago. We remain guilty in his sight. Until the blood of Jesus cleanses us. We receive by faith his death on the cross. His blood being poured out for my sins to be forgiven. When that settles in, when that moves in, and you're realizing that he's already made provision for you and me to be forgiven of what we have done, are doing, will yet do. That he 
He's made the way for sin to not have to stand in the way of a relationship with him. That, that, that's the part about he saved us uh, not by our own righteousness, but according to his mercy, his mercy, given us something that we don't deserve, given us something we didn't earn, given us something we could never pay for. It's his mercy, it's his mercy, it's his mercy. We're all guilty. We can't buy forgiveness. If we're going to get forgiveness, it will be because he chooses to give it. The most holy being in all of, in all of the universe chooses to bequeath mercy to you and me because of what Jesus has done on the cross so that there could be a relationship. And the sin doesn't have to stand in the way from here on of what caused a distance in the relationship before. According to his mercy, and then these two things he mentions, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Jesus said to Nicodemus, that religious leader, John chapter 3, Nick, you've only got one problem. You just need to be born all over again. To which Nicodemus says, how can that be possible for me, an older grand, to, to again return to my mother's womb? And Jesus was saying, it's not being born of the flesh. It's being born by my spirit. Born again means being born from above. Nicodemus, you've got everything you can get laterally. You've got Bible teaching. You've got moral instruction. You have all of these, the position and the authority to do certain things in a, in a lateral level. But Nicodemus, what I want for you, what my Father wants for you, is for you to be born from above with my Spirit. That my Spirit would come to live inside you. My Spirit with a brand new set of want to come to operate and live within you, you need to be born again. That's what he's speaking of here, by the washing of regeneration, by the washing that the coming to a heart of a new life, a fresh life, the life of Jesus, where now you're able to see that is what I was, but that is not who I am. That is what I was, but that is not who I am. The other, the next one his mercy expressed in what he says, renewing by the Holy Spirit. Renewing by the Holy Spirit. Renewing to the point of it being like a total makeover. Not just some small pieces corrected. But for there, where there is, there is the work of the Spirit of Jesus alive in a heart that causes there to be an ongoing sense of being made new. In, in, instead of it being, I've got, to, I've got to hold my Bible and I've got to be looking all the time at what I'm instructed to do here, though that's not a bad thing to do, to know what the Scripture teaches. But folks, our problem is not so much knowledge as it is power. It's not so much knowing what we ought not to do or ought to do as it is, as it is the ability from within to pursue it, to do it. That's what he's saying. Here's how he saves us. Here's how he rescues us. Here's what his kindness and fondness toward us wants to take us to. That there's a new, there's a new birth. 
born from above. And then there is going to be his desire is that there's an ongoing renewing of the new you, renewing of who the Lord wants you by his spirit who's working in you. So, so all of this talk about you've got to, here's the bar, and you've got to jump over the bar, and here's the stuff that you should never be able to do. All of those things that, that we failed at miserably many times, or you wear yourself out trying to pursue those things, it all just, it all becomes a moot point when suddenly we realize, I couldn't do that anyway. God knows I could never do it that way. He didn't quit pursuing me, didn't quit loving me, but here's what he's done. He's given to me a new birth. I have received Christ into my life. That from that standpoint, I believe that I'm, I have been and am continuing to be born again. But as that's happening, he is giving strength to renew me so that I have new desires. I have new longings, new wishes by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the relationship that he wants to have with you he desires to result in. Knowing that I'm not the person that I was, I have, am being born again because I've asked him into my heart. Whatever that means, Lord, I want that. I need to be born again. I need to be born from above. I'm asking you for it. But then also, Lord, I'm asking that by your Spirit, You'll just keep on renewing me so that our relationship can get deeper, go further, and go stronger. Now, I got to say this. I'm, you know, I'm grateful for church. I'm grateful for the setting of church. Grateful for the opportunity to have been pastor here for 32 years. But if what we're talking about doesn't work out yonder, you need to find something else to believe. If what we're talking about here is only good when we're in the attaboy crowd, when, when, when it's easy. But what this is about is that old Matthew, because of what the Lord was do, did, would do in his life, he, he was able to live as a changed man, not dictated to and influenced by the old crowd that he ran with. They lost their control over him because there was this new man now alive. Jesus, I don't know what all that means, but I'm receiving you. Come to live in me. Come to live in me. Come to live in me, Jesus. And as you establish, you step into that and and open the door of your heart to that kind of friendship, relationship with him, then, oh, my goodness, he moves into your chest. And he begins to flex his moral muscles. He begins to convince you of the things that he knows are true, that we need to be persuaded of are true. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. So we go back to this package that's on your porch. Every every porch has got a package that Amazon didn't deliver, UPS didn't deliver. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. That means a life that is in fellowship, in friendship with the God who gave you the ability to believe and hear and operate 
a relationship, a friendship with him. Will you pick up that package that's on your porch? Will you take it into your Christmas tree? And way before Christmas morning, will you take your your pair of scissors and cut the tape and open that box? And inside that box, for you, you can't disqualify yourself unless you choose to. And you look inside that box, and there is an invitation to a friendship with Jesus on the basis of Bethlehem's gift. Who will dare? Who will dare? Who will dare? Who will dare? I hope it's you. There's some more Matthews out there. There's some more women, men caught in a bad spot, in a bad place. There are all kinds of variations and all kinds of locations. But he's on a hunt for a friendship with you. Not everybody's going to be in a church, you know, every Sunday of the month, every Wednesday of the month. Not everybody's going to be in some small group Bible study or whatever. Not bad when that's where you're supposed to be. We, we love having you here. But I'm going to say to some folks, if the church is what turns you off on Jesus, jettison the organized church for a while until there can be the sense of his presence. He's never left. He's never given up on you. He wants a friendship with you. Pursue that. Amen. Amen and amen. I want you to, will you pray with me, prayer partners, if you'll join me. Lord, we bless you for your truth. And Lord, I, I, just, I just ask you to please take these truths right into the hearts where they need to go. Friendship with Jesus. A friendship with Jesus. And we quickly can say back to you, well, why would you want a friendship with me? You know me. To which your response would be, I didn't come to save the righteous. I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Well, there are lost places in your life. I want to find you there. I want to help you there. I want to strengthen you there. I love you. I want a relationship with you. Lord, will you show us, will you convince us that you are not going to be so offended when we are honest with you about where we're struggling and the battles that we fight and fail that you'd give up on us. Because the truth is, you already know those things anyway. Whether we tell you about them or not, you already know. But as you invite us into relationship, into friendship with you, the honesty and the transparency and the, the just laying it out, I don't understand. I have a hard time believing. I, I, I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive that person. Instead of that being, Lord, help us to get it. Instead of it being something that just runs you away, Help us to understand that that is a part of a, of a relationship drawing closer. Even with our best human friends, the better we know each other, the more we can love each other. The same with you. The more honest we are with you, 
the closer there is that sense that we are drawing to you, even if it's not all pretty. We said, Lord, if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's where we want to be. That's where we want to stay. But Lord, I, I pray that you'll just turn a switch on in some hearts right now who are listening to this. Turn that switch on that it's all about a relationship. You are pursuing a relationship with us. That we've never gone too far for that relationship to not be restored and to deeper, be deeper. Help us, Lord. If you've never prayed that simple prayer, if, 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 this is, if these words have never, similar words never come out of your lips, consider this. Lord Jesus Christ, I open my heart up to you. I want a relationship with you. I ask you to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins because of your death on the cross. And I ask you to live in me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgiveness on the cross, Lord, but power to live by your Spirit alive in me is what I need. And that would be our prayer. That would be our cry in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A friendship. A friendship with Jesus. Let's stand together. If we can pray with you here in this house, then we, we want to do that. We want to pray with you. Especially if something working in your heart, you want that settled, coming to know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org, just a brief email, just enough for us to know how to pray for you. And then we'd love to hear the updates when the Lord's bringing some answers and bringing some breakthroughs. We look forward to gathering together Christmas Eve, 5 p.m. in this house. We'll be streaming the service. It'll be a, a short one, 5 to 6, and so you can get on with your Christmas Eve gatherings with family and friends. But looking forward to that time, this, this coming Christmas Eve right here. Look forward to seeing you. Next Sunday, we will just be having one service. It'll be this service, the 11 o'clock service. We typically do that for the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's. All right? Already giving you more information than you probably want to know. Anyway, bless you for being here. Come this way, please, if we can pray for you. And, and if you've got some folks around you that you'd just like to speak a word of encouragement to, then you, you do that. Shake their hand, hug their neck, bless them in the name of the Lord. Streaming family, thank you for being a part of our time together this morning. God bless you.